Welcome to Build to Lead, forming the healthcare leaders of tomorrow. Back at you for season three. There's no denying that the last two to three years have been tough, and news cycles continue to report on the doom and gloom happening at home and abroad. And today, we want to take a breather from that and reflect on something more positive joy. But what is joy? Joy is energy. Joy is resistance. Joy is being in your mojo. Let's learn together on season three of Built to Lead, getting back to joy. Welcome listeners to Built to Lead, season three, episode two, Meaning and Joy, part one. I'm Matthew. And I'm Mubin. And today we're going to be diving into joy as it pertains to meaning. So what is the meaning of meaning? Melissa Madison and Mikey Newhouse provide a great explanation in positive psychology. Meaning helps us find the things that are greater than ourselves. That higher purpose helps us find focus and grounding during difficult times, and when things are getting complex or overwhelming. What meaning is changes with each individual person, and you will hear us talk about that and how you might find yours in our article discussions in part two of this pillar. At its core though, meaning is tied to personal values, and those who have it report longer life, greater satisfaction, and fewer health problems. Our guest for these two episodes is Dr. Zena Kayet, EP of Business Development at Teladoc, our virtual healthcare and telehealth solution. Zena provides us with an impactful discussion around what meaning means to her personally, how we can help get to meaning in what we do, and ultimately, how finding meaning can help us bring back joy. The first part of the episode introduces us to Zena and the impact of meaning throughout her professional and personal journey. In our discussion with Zena, we had a particularly long article, so we're actually going to go into that first section of the article in today's episode, and then we'll go through the rest in episode two, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And as a reminder, a link to the article can be found in our episode descriptions if you wanted to give it a read. So without further ado, enjoy part one of Dr. Zena Kayet and getting to the meaning of meaning. Welcome to another episode of Built to Lead. Today we have an exciting, exciting guest. Her name is Zena and she is the VP, the Vice President of Business Development and Strategy with Teladoc Health in Canada. Teladoc Health's mission is to provide a new kind of healthcare experience with greater convenience, outcomes, and value. Zaina Kayat previously co-founded and led the Futures team at the National Home Health and Aging Nonprofit, SE Health, as their future strategist. In 2017, she spent the year on secondment to the Reshape Health Innovation Center at Radboud University Medical Center in Nijmegen, Netherlands where she led several initiatives to advance health innovation in the country. From 2014 to 2017, Dr. Kayat led health system innovation with Mars Discovery District, a major innovation hub based in Toronto. Zena earned her PhD in biochemistry from the University of Toronto, where she was a scholar of the Canadian Institute of Health Research. She has more than 10 publications and chapters in international journals and textbooks. We are super, super happy to have Zena with us in this audio space. Zena, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. The pleasure is ours. So let's get this conversation started. And I think we have a great beginning question for you. And the question is, 
what brings you joy? Well, I mean, I've got a few sources. So if, you know, we start with, uh, in my personal life, uh, I'm, I've been on a bit of a mission of wellness and health. Uh, so I just, it's joyful every day because I think I've abandoned my body for a long time. So, uh, and it's just, it's just nice to have a, a different, um, I don't know, frame of reference with, with health of my physical body. Uh, and my mental health. Um, I, I think family joy is I've got three kids. And, uh, you know, when you have kids, you realize why you are how you are. There's just so much joy in just seeing their development, how they think, how they act and realizing, wow, that was me. And that's why I am the way I am. And I, I just find that joyful. Uh, and then and then in work, you know, I just get joy from uh, waking up every day, trying to solve an intractable problem in Canadian healthcare. And, um, and it's so hard. So it's a lot of pain, but I get joy out of it. So that's my long answer. That's so lovely. And, and how do you feel like the joy has changed or evolved over time throughout your entire career? I mean, I think like, as you know, I'll be 50 in about a year and a half. You know, as you accumulate wisdom and experience, you just, you have way less friction. Uh, in, in choices you make or experiences you have or who you spend your time with or where you spend your time. And so just that noise starts to be less and less every day and, and it just gets more joyful, right? You're not toiling and searching and fumbling to find what works for your own mojo. Um, and so it's just easier to have joy. It's uncovered. So that's that would be my reflection on that. It definitely sounds like you do have that joy. Even just talking about in a recent interview, you're talking about your mission to mobilize health in the healthcare system. And even just thinking about like your vast experience, um, like for our fans and our listeners, like your path is pretty unique, um, pretty eclectic. So a lot of different inflection points from like studying biochemistry to strategy, to management, to social change, to the health system, currently to Teladoc right now. I even remember back in my master's, um, one of my favorite course actually was your health innovation course because I learned so much. And like one of your titles was futurist. So I was like, okay, maybe that's a title that I want in the future. But then I remember you talking about sometimes as students, when we want to look for that new position, a lot of times we're prioritizing the title, we're prioritizing compensation, when we really should be prioritizing what those values are. So what I got from it is like values over everything. So I know there's those t-shirts, Toronto versus everyone, might have to have those values over everything t-shirt, but maybe can you just um, elaborate on this a bit? Like how did that play into your journey? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, again, I can't say I knew that heading out, but in hindsight, now that I look back, the common thread, I'd say out of everything I gravitated to, I'd say even going back to public school is I love solving wicked, nutty, intractable, messy problems, right? And so in the context of even my public school or my high school, you know, it was whatever was those problems of the day there. Uh, then through, you know, undergrad, there was school, but I found my way to solve messy stuff going on on campus. And then during my grad school, same thing. And then, you know, and then every job I've had. So, so that ends up being the common thread. And I guess that's just my DNA. That's what I want to do. And so then it's easy enough to never chase the title, right? Because there's no title for what this kind of work is. Um, and I was just, I was actually just mentoring somebody the other day and I, you know, I reflected my last five jobs and I change every like two or three years. I wrote the job. I wrote the job description. I created the title. And I think that's what it will be when you're doing this kind of work. And then the only thing, you know, you call it values, Matthew. I mean, my mentorship to when I, you know, I mentor a lot of students, as you can imagine, but also a lot of established people who 
it's just not clicking for them, whatever they're doing. On paper, it looks right. A lot of those are physicians who did, you know, 12 years of school. And it's just, it's just not sitting with them well, whatever they're doing every day and they feel stuck. Um, you know, I always say it's like that sweet spot of like three things. You know, one is, you know, doing something that uh, leverages your skills and your capabilities, your training, whatever, because you invested in all building all that. Uh, so that's one Venn diagram. The next Venn diagram is solving a really important issue or problem that matters, that has impact. And then the third is with a team you love. Like that's my three circles. And, and I think, you know, why you need to work with a team that you really love is if you're solving something that matters to the world that has impact, it's going to be really hard. And you need to get energy and give energy from a team because it's going to take a team. And if you can use your skills and then maybe there's a fourth Venn diagram, I often say that will actually pay you enough to survive because you can't do that all on volunteer. You won't survive. So, so those are kind of the things I've always looked for when I'm kind of tumbling to my next thing. I love your point on um, looking at healthcare as a team as, and, and I think I want to, I want, just wanted to touch on that a little bit because honestly, ever since kind of going through my internship recently and kind of finding my footing as, as a student, as a young professional, um, what I've come to found is that healthcare is like a sport. And you need different functioning parties. You need different team members with different skill sets to really talk to one another and engage with one another and find that common meaning to find that common purpose and then let that energy drive the, the team further. So yeah. what are your thoughts on that and kind of the notion of finding team meaning and team purpose? Look, I mean, I've been doing a lot of reading and gathering around, you know, just new concepts of org, of org theory, org models, right? So like the rest of the world, you know, we're, we're emancipating from an industrial era construct of org, right? Where, you know, to get through the industrialization, which has allowed you to, you know, discreetly organize assets and cones of expertise to maximize their kind of product production and productivity, um, you know, at scale, at a cost that's affordable. Well, medicine's just been through that, right? And, you know, we created these cones of hospitals and doctors and put everybody in clean silos of expertise. And we put the pharmaceutical people over there and the medical device people over there. And well, that makes no sense in the 21st century, right? You know, and look at org structures, you know, the way they were designed in 1917, when the first one was written, I think it was like a Texas Instruments tablet company, is 100% the same today. And that assumes that the sole leader at the top has all the power and all the brains and all the decision making authority. And then, you know, it's going to get filtered down to these discrete cones, and that all the magic gets done in each discrete, you know, silo of expertise, whether that's in an org, or the org structure of an entire health system. You know, you public health people, you're going to go over there and do that. And you hospital people are going to do that. And you doctors are going to do that. But nurses do that. That doesn't make any sense in the 21st century because industrialization is not what we need anymore. Like we needed that before to economically scale these, you know, really, really precious assets. But now it's all relational. It's not transactional. Uh, and, and the jobs to get done, the problems to get solved are at the boundaries of all these org chart elements. And guess who solves stuff at the boundaries? Teams, right? We're boundary spanners. And that's whether that's a team in an org or, you know, these cross-functional teams across multiple entities. And that is not the skill set in the DNA of healthcare people, like at all, right? So it's like a whole new org structure. You know, if we want to do a medical reference, 
you know, we've obsessed for 150 years of medicine on anatomy, right? Building, you know, the, the scaffold and the structures. And, but what actually makes the body work is physiology. And, and so physiology is teamwork, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm sure of it. And you, man, we got to be really good at that. Yeah. And I think you're on point there too. And you're even foreshadowing like things that we're going to talk about further in this um, discussion, conversation, because it's really about that organizational purpose and how do we find meaning. So as individuals, we're looking for meaning and purpose, but we have to work with a group, with a team, um, as you were discussing. Yeah. And I, I just add, like, and I think you get meaning and purpose at the two levels. One is within whatever your team is. That could be within your org or, again, and if you're not aligned on values, purpose, mission as a team, which could be your own version, like that's certainly what I had at St. Elizabeth with my futures team. But then you got to be working for, you know, a context that's on a mission and has a purpose that makes you want to wake up every day and do it. So it's like a double purpose. I love that. And I think this is such a great segue to kind of go into kind of deep diving into the article that we had kind of chosen to really understand, help us understand uh, meaning, purpose, and organizational purpose as a whole. Uh, and to help guide our listeners and provide actionable tips around meaning, we have been framing discussions around different articles in this year's season. So today we wanted to tackle a media one around organizational purpose and how it can tie to our own understanding of meaning. So for listeners, you can find the link uh, to the full article in our episode description. Uh, but don't worry, we'll summarize as we go. So today's article is an exciting one, um, and it's called, What is the Purpose of Your Purpose? And it talks about organizational purpose. Yeah, and today we just wanted to start off with a description of the three senses of purpose, because sometimes it can be confusing, and it doesn't always have to be doing something that's a change in the world, because a lot of times we think our purpose has to be a social change. So in the article, it talks about competence. That's the first one, the function that our product serves or our service. Then there's culture. So the intent with which we run our business, and then there's cause. Like everyone likes cause, a social good, which we aspire. This is what we usually think of as a company's purpose, but it doesn't always have to be only this way. So which of these purposes, Zaina, between cause, culture, competence, do you think is most pervasive in our system? And in your opinion, our healthcare system, which one of these three will bring us the most joy? So let's unpack that a bit. I mean, the way I would organize those is like Simon Sinek, you know, why, how, and what, right? So why is the cause? Uh, how is your culture? How you're going to, you know, uh, deliver on the cause? And what is your competence? Like, wh you know, what's your piece of the contribution to that cause? Because you can't do everything. And that's, you know, all your, your assets you've accumulated and your capabilities. So, you know, and I think this is the challenge with healthcare. Again, as we evolve from an industrial era, We've obsessed with the what, with the competence. You know, if you look at the mission statement of most health orgs, we want to be the best in the world at doing X. No, no, that's not why you exist. That's not your mission statement, but that's what we've done and we've accepted because it was, again, about positional authority, hierarchy, dominance, excellence, you know, for the sake of being the best. And, and you know, now that's not working for us anymore. People don't want to work for that. It doesn't resonate for their why. So, so I think we're shifting now to the why and the how. That that cause statement, which is your purpose statement, which is your you know is is becomes so important because the jobs to get done are so messy. They're so complex. There's so many of them. You got to be anchored on some north star as your reason to wake up every day and, you know, make choices and trade-offs every single day about where you're going to spend your time and where you're not, whether that's like the person in the cafeteria, 
you know, the manager on the front line, whatever, you know, and then the how is really, really important, which is your culture purpose, because that's what's going to, you know, align, you know, you to work kind of rowing in the same direction. And it's, it's your values, it's your rules of the game, whatever you want to call it, but it just makes sure that you're not wasting any energy on, you know, ridiculous stuff of behaviors and things. You're wasting your energy on actually solving the problem that your, your mission is meant to solve, right? So, so those are been the shift. And I'd say like, I'd spent my last year at St. Liz really reworking all three of these purposes for our org as we were inflecting to where do we want to go next? And COVID, of course, gives you a lot of space for that, right? Because uh, it exposes all the warts and stuff. And, and you know, we've spent so much time on the culture and the cause. Every word of our statement, of our purpose statement, which is what we called cause, and our, our um, we called it the SE way, our culture statements. Man, it took a year to get them right. Every word was scrutinized and put through the ringer and make sure it works. And we took this off and we added that. But you know you've got it right when you see it and you're like, that's it. That's it, you know? Uh, and then the what is actually kind of easy, right? Your competence, right? Like that's like you just decide, you know, which of our assets do we want to deploy in, 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 perp- in, you know, in delivery of our mission and which, you know, do we want to sunset, you know, which don't serve us well. So, so I'd say that's the transition, I'd say, from competence focus. You know, if there are three legs of the stool, at least make them equal, I would suggest culture and cause are your most stable legs. And then like your third one is your competence. Thank you so much for your for your kind of take on that. And something that really stood out to me when you were talking is kind of as as someone who's kind of entering or finding the footing in the healthcare industry, you can see that, right? You don't often necessarily need to hear about it, you can see it. So for example, like healthcare leaders going or, or young emerging leaders going into the private sector or the public sector, um, you can think about it even when you enter the workplace, how kind of private sector has kind of now this open um, kind of this open um, setting where like you can sit anywhere, you can talk to anyone, encourage collaboration, um, which in public sector is still trying to be reiterated and being worked on and, and trying to find the common space there. Um, so what are your thoughts as a leader? Kind of how do you promise or how do you work towards one of these purposes with full intent so do you mean in the context of if your own org or or background is not really um setting up the conditions for you to do so is that what you mean absolutely yes yeah so a couple ideas you know and it's very tricky and i've I've coached so many people are at a point where the way the org is so the culture um purpose um, it's just so inconsistent with how they, you know, want to be or want to work and they kind of can't see past it. So first I'd say, um, you got to know at what point it's, it's beyond repair. Like it's, it's, you know, you can't find a path for you to work in that culture. And, and, and I, I don't have a, a firm thing. You just kind of just know. And then the more, you know, yourself, the more you can be honest about that a lot sooner and not suffer and not make the org suffer to be honest. So that's one is if you really don't see a fit with your culture and the culture that's been cultivated, just get out, get out fast, make a decision and go find it somewhere else. And that takes a lot of courage. But, you know, on the other hand, in healthcare, nobody ever loses a job because there's, you know, 5x the demand relative to supply for expertise in in all expertise, not just clinical. So it's actually not that risky. If you're in that buffer zone where it's not exactly the right context for you, the conditions aren't perfectly there, because like you said, healthcare orgs, 
are in this mucky transition out of the old way of doing things and some are further ahead than others. I think the path is then find your tribe. Right now, ideally, that's like your own little team that you all can work really well together and your leader can insulate you a bit from the antibodies of the org that want to come out and find this foreign agent that, you know, works in a 21st century way. And um, Or you could find your tribe in other ways. You could have a, you know, a tribe that's not a formal org structure or team structure that's been, you know, formally created but you found a, a way to get that tribe. You formed some cr- cross-functional thing or you're on some committee or, you know, whatever. And that's how you do it, right? And then you slowly start to influence because those teams that are jiving on the culture purpose perform, right? They perform, they attract talent. They clearly feel different from everything else, you know? And, and then the art and the science of being, you know, in a, in one of these little cultural islands, if you will, is you don't want to be too extreme and come across as elitist. Uh, you gotta, gotta take, you gotta walk the, I call it edge walking. You gotta have one leg in the old culture and one leg in the new and, and then slowly infect the old. Uh, and again, you know, you don't get that right the first time. I'll just tell you that much. Um, but, but that's how I'd suggest people survive, you know, and I just, again, the young people, you know, going out, especially if you're on like your first round of interviews, do not settle, do not get attracted as Matthew said to the job title. And I'll tell you, if it's like really easy to get a job, do a ton of due diligence of why. And I got burned the worst way with that once where, you know, I got what looked on paper, like the perfect job for Zena. And then I realized, oh, two other people had tried it for six months and left, you know, screaming for the hills. And, you know, that didn't come up in the interview process and I didn't do enough due diligence. And I knew literally on day one of the job that I made a massive mistake. Right. And then I lost a year of my career for that. So so that's what I suggest. I, I love that idea of edge walking. Definitely going to look into that deeper um, as I grow within this industry. And Mobin, you can do that also on the CN Tower. So two wins at the same time <laughs> and even <laughs> and even just thinking about i like that the way you reworked uh the sense of purposes um Zena, and even doing that due diligence because i think there's a time in the season as a student there might be times where we're in positions or organizations that might not align with us but like how do we still operate what you said but like finding your tribe so that tribe even might be outside of the organization that yep. might be volunteering to lead to that influence and then that could lead to, let's say, a next position that actually aligns with your values. Doing some research with the organization, maybe doing some interviews to understand, does this actually yeah. um, make sense? And I'll just me? say what you call volunteering is what I call side hustle. You know, and I always coach everyone should have at least one, but probably four side hustles of various magnitudes. Like you guys are doing this is your side hustle. That's not volunteering, right? That's like, you know, that might give you your energy. That might actually build more skills for you than anything you're doing at your day job that pays the bills. Uh, it gives you space to explore. You have a lot more freedom. You could be yourself. And then I always say, and I coach a lot of physicians on this who do, like they, they do four days in the clinic, but one day a week on their side hustle, whether it's helping a startup or whatever they're doing. One day those curves will cross of the time you're spending on your side hustle stuff mm. and the thing that pays the bills. And then you pop, right? So so I agree. That's a great point, Matt, about the side hustle. That's another way to find your tribe. Yeah. And even just adding to that, I think that should be added to the rules of, let's say, finding meaning. So what is that side hustle yeah. that you're going to have? Because in the article, it talks about like the three rules of organizational purpose. So the first one is really don't rally around the cause unless you actually have one. So you talked about understanding what that why is and doing understand that before you really go anywhere. And then secondly, 
is that a strong culture is technically all you do need to have. So let's say you don't have that why yet, but if you do have that strong culture, you're likely going to get it. As you said, those teams with a strong culture, yep. they're the highest performing. And culture eat strategy for breakfast is around breakfast time. I hope everyone ate, but we know that culture beats everything down the road. And then finally, it talks about like delegating to the marketing team. So making sure that we're actually living to the organizational um, purpose. And it's not just something that's, it has to be real authentic. That's why I hate the word culture, to be honest, just because we use it so much and then it kind of becomes everything, just like strategy, just like innovation, the word collaboration, integration, even the word leadership. I'm so done with those words because we use them all the time. So they kind of have no meaning and then everyone defines them their own way. So for me, yeah, culture is like I said, it's your how, it's how you show up, how you show up to each other, how you show up to your clients or your customers, how you show up to your partners how you show up to your funders. You know, the other um, analog for culture is, you know, the way you behave when no one's looking, right? That's culture because there's no consequence. You just know, you know, you just do this because that's just how you do, you know? And I think that that's the essence. And I agree, Matthew, like marketing as a way to talk about how you are or who you are is thin value, very thin value, Right. So that's what we always say, you know, we, most orgs have become marketing obsessed, but not people obsessed, right? And and I think we see through it right now with all the kind of virtue signaling that happens around diversity and equity and inclusion and climate, you know, just don't say anything, actually. Thank you very much. Just do, do and be and, and let others, you know, um, do that, the calculus on whether you are those things. You you kind of took a stab at at the rules that were proposed by the article already, but kind of digging deeper, um, do you think that they can be applied or even modified to be applied to find meaning in your own personal journey? Um, and what has what has that looked like through your own journey? Absolutely. I mean, again, that's why like I I kind of was shown Simon Sinek and all his stuff, but it's the exact same thing. Like I said, it's why, how, and what, and that's his whole platform, right? He's like kind of a motivational performance. Uh, I don't know, thinker, coach, writer, but that's what he does for people. Right. And I, I took his course once from my personal journey, you know, what's your why? So it's called the power of the why is his book. You guys could put it in the, in the thing, you know, what's your, how, what, you know, which is your personal values. I've had my five value statements that have guided me since about, yeah, 40 years old, you know, and I haven't wavered. I revisit them all the time. I'm like, have I evolved? Nope. My same five statements, every choice I make, my reflection at the end of the day, did I, did I live to these five things I've just said is who I am. Right. And then your, what is, okay, where am I going to spend my time? Right. You know, who am I going to spend my time with personally, you know, and, and, and who I'm not going to, you know, and then, and what am I going to do with my work time? Right. So absolutely it applies to your personal life. And starting with that, why I think that's really important and even writing it down. Cause I think writing it down is that commitment. So even after that health innovation course, that's something that I did. I wrote down what my values are, like my top three. And then when I look at organizations that I'm interested in, it's like, does this fall in line Great. with what I'm Brilliant actually looking practice. for? I don't think I've even done that, Matthew. So it's a good idea. Uh, and, and your why, yeah. And your why is a bit of your personal mission, right? Your personal mission statement. And there's a lot of tools that can help you craft that. I mean, that was coaching I got probably, yeah, from, you know, when I was, uh, at one of the firms I was at, our lead partner, you know, she had coached me and we did a session on your mission statement. We wrote them together and that was very, very powerful. Yeah. And I think you've given 
Matt and I, as well as the, the listeners and activity to kind of really take on um, and practice. Um, kind of going on. That's all for this week's episode of Built to Lead. Zaina really helped us to break down senses of purpose from what we thought was a pretty simple model of cause, culture, and competence, and simplified it even further into Simon Sinek's why, how, and what. Yeah, and I think when we think of meaning that simply, it's even easier to apply it in our own lives and driving meaning at that personal level, or not even as broadly at the organizational level. You're absolutely right, Matthew. And that simplicity and getting to the heart of what matters is something Zaina does a remarkable job of. And if you thought why, how, and what was a good simplification, wait until you hear some of the nuggets she has for us in part two. You're definitely going to need to wait for that unless you're binging everything after the release. So which in that case, uh, you don't have to wait at all. Look at you. In either case, that's all we have for you for this episode. Thanks for joining us. We hope it brought you a little bit of joy today. See you next episode. And until then, we wish you a smile, a laugh, and joy. Thank you for joining us on Built to Lead, Season 3, Getting Back to Joy. Built to Lead is created and hosted by Matthew Goldberg and co-hosted by Mubin Lalani. Built to Lead is a companion podcast to the Vernissage Health Dialogue Series at the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Tell us what you thought about this week's episode. You can find us on LinkedIn at Vernissage Health and on Instagram at Vernissage Health. You'll find both of these in the episode description. Today's episode was produced by Hannah Hodgins and Tony DeShenza with music composed by Sindhu. Special thanks to Wendy Nelson, Senior Fellow at the Institute for Health Policy Management and Evaluation.